Testament, to the book of Nehemiah. Uh, and what we do here at Potter's House is we work through most of the Bible at a time. Uh, so we just finished Ephesians, and the others are like, hey, we haven't been in the Old Testament for a while, so let's go back there. Uh, so we're going to Nehemiah, and uh, as I was working on this sermon, I was reminded of a time where, uh, when I was a youth pastor, I took a group of teens on a mission trip to Spain. missionary that was there, actually one of the things that he had done before he went to Spain was before that he was a missionary in Central America, and one of the things that he did was he translated the whole Old Testament um, into the native language of a tribal people in Central America. Um, so if you ever play a Bible trivia, and there's someone in your group who has translated the whole Old Testament into another language... You might listen to that guy um, instead of sticking with your pride. That's just a little, uh, little hint for you. But anyway, um, I say all that to say that I am not the foremost expert on the book of Nehemiah, so I'm very excited about getting to learn uh, as we study this together uh, to learn from what God has for us in this book. Um, I figure a lot of you are probably like, uh, like I was, that you might not know. Five books of the Old Testament, which is the Pentateuch, 
Moses wrote, we'll get to those in a minute. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so through that you have the creation narrative, you have uh, Genesis, you have all that that God did there, you have Abraham, all of that that we'll get to in just a minute. And, uh, and then you get to the law, and the honor, and all of that's in Leviticus. Um, and then uh, you have the narrative, um, the historical narrative passages. Uh, so you have the books that are basically just giving us the history uh, of what's happened. Um, and so you have a big chunk of those. Then you have what's called the wisdom literature. Uh, so uh, Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, uh, these books, which are more like just wisdom statements and those kind of things that we get to learn from. So they lumped all those together. Uh, and then you get into the prophets. And uh, we have the major prophets and the minor prophets. Major prophets are first, minor prophets are second. Uh, major and minor, not based on their importance, but based on the length of the book. Scientific method they use to determine uh, major and minor prophets. Uh, major prophet this long, minor prophet this long. Right? So, um, so that's why the Old Testament is broken up the way it is. They, they group the different kinds of writings together, which can make it a little confusing for us sometimes when we're trying to understand where in the big story and the order of things this happens. Uh, right? Uh, because Nehemiah actually comes in kind of before the middle of the Old Testament. Psalms, uh, but it's at the end of the historical narrative section, and it actually, Nehemiah was one of the last uh, books, Nehemiah, the, the history we have in Nehemiah is the end of the historical narrative before Jesus shows up in the New Testament, and so, so that'll help you kind of place where we are in the timeline, so let's go to the beginning, so where do we start? spoken into existence. He created all that we see. He made the world. He made the sun, the moon, the stars. He separated the land and the seas. He put animals, plants, he made humans. He looked at it all and he said, it's good. And so, he made this beautiful, perfect, the man and the woman in the garden, the garden of Eden. And in the garden, um, he gave them one rule. He said, hey, do not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So as man and woman, what did we do? We said, yeah, we fruit. And they ate. And they ate of the tree. The serpent came in and tempted them and said, did God really say that you will surely die? Well, he was just kidding. He was wanting to hold back on you. He's wanting to keep you from knowing everything that he knows. Because if you do that, then you will be like God. And so they took and they ate. And sin came into the world. And God said, because I am good, I have to judge and I have to punish. And so because you've done this thing that I told you not to do, there's going to be consequences. There will be death. But he also, even from that point, started to give us a little bit of hope. And said, hey, but, but from the woman who's going to come, who's going to crush the head of the enemy. The enemy's going to strike his heel, but he's going to crush his head. And we know now, looking back at that Jesus, that God, from the very beginning, from when sin first came into the world, he said, hey, do 
Jesus is going to come, and he's going to defeat sin and death and punishment, and he's going to do that for mankind. Well, sin did have its consequences. Uh, right off the bat, uh, Adam and Eve's sons, story goes on, and the world gets more and more and more corrupt, and ugly and uglier and uglier, and sin is just rampant, and it's just causing all kinds of chaos, and it's not what God designed, and God said, I'm going to have to punish this, so God sent the flood. He sent a flood that wiped out the whole world, a global killer, extinction of He is going to use in the end. But he said, I will never again destroy everything in the water. So when we see the rainbow, we get to be reminded of that, reminded of God's promises, of how good he is and the good things that he does for us. But Noah's family is given the task of repopulating the earth. Like, there's no pressure, guys, but you know, you got four bubbles here, go for it. Um, and so, uh, so they repopulate the earth.
makes his family and connection to live. They go to this place. And the tricky thing is, God's saying he's going to make a great nation out of Abram, but Abram has no kids. And he's old. And his wife is old. And, you know, like, they didn't have all the prenatal science we have today, but they knew when you're old, you don't have kids. And so they're saying, God, how is this going to happen? By the way, the news lately, you see this other idiot or 70 year old woman gave birth. Yeah. Um, there's a, it's not like Abraham and Sarah because they did it in vitro and they used her husband's side of things, but she didn't have her side of things anymore, so they got a donor egg and they put it together and they put it inside of her. Moses goes, he takes the people out, he, he goes up on the mountain, he talks with God, God tells him, hey, 
hey, here's my plans for my people. Here's the rules I want them to live by to be my people, um, to have my protection around them. This, these are the boundaries. These are the boundaries they need to live in. When they live outside of these boundaries, that's called sin. Sin's a problem. And so when you go outside of the boundaries, there's going to be consequences. And so it's a covenant. It's a deal between me and, me and you. And if you keep your end of the deal, I'm keeping my end of the deal. So Moses takes that, he tells all the people, they're like, yes, yes, we will, we will keep track of the deal. Um, after the fact that while he was getting it, they were making false gods and worshiping him after they were just told, don't make false gods and worship him. Um, but anyway, after they dealt with that, they're like, yes, now we're good, we're going to follow God. Uh, now that we're done with that, that we just did, um, until the next thing that we do where we mess up again. And so we see this over and over again with the people where uh, they're God's chosen people. He loves, that he has a plan for, that he has a purpose that he's called them to, and he's given them parameters by which they're supposed to live, and they continue to mess things up. Even Moses didn't get to go into the promised land, because God told him to do one thing, and he did something else, and God said, that's sin. Because of that sin, the consequence is, you're not going to go into the promised land. You, your whole life has been lived leading these people to the promised land. story goes on, so Joshua, Moses' protege, he takes over, and uh, he, he leads the, the people in, he's the military leader, they, they conquer people, they drive people out, they do what God tells them to do or not, and all of this, and in the end, Joshua says, um, he's called the people together, he's reminded them of all of God's law and all of God's rules, and, uh, and he tells them, he says, choose this day who you will serve, but as for me and my house, all the people said, we too, we will serve the Lord. We're going to serve the Lord. We love the Lord. Look what he's done for us. I mean, he, he conquered cities just by us walking around them and took out our enemies and all this stuff. Like, God is so good, so we're going to serve him. Yes, we're going to serve the Lord. Um, and then just a few years later, they're worshiping other gods. They're just worshiping false gods. And it takes us into the book of Judges that we've gone through as a church before a while back. And we see this cycle in Judges where God blesses the people. says, hey, I'm going to punish that. And God brings in some enemies, and the enemies come in and conquer them, and they are enslaved, and they're like, oh, no, this is horrible. God, we repent, we repent. But God will raise up a Savior for them, and the Savior will drive out their enemies, and that's the judges. And they'll win, and the battles will be free again, and God's blessings will come in. so good that I'm just going to fall right back in the sea. And that's what they do. It's just a cycle that we can create. It's a cycle that we can easily see in our own lives. But we, I'm going to fall in the sea right now. This is my race. And then I fall in the sea. I fall back in the sea. So that cycle happens for a while, then the people say, you know what we really need? 
as a king. A king is what we need. And so uh, they select a king, they select Saul. You know, Saul really looks the part. You know, he's tall, handsome, um, hiding in the back room behind a barrel. You know, like he really looks the part of a king. Um, and so uh, they make Saul the king. Um, he does a horrible job um, and pretty much is just about every way you can send and mess up. Like, you know, then he's like, oh, I haven't tried that one yet. Let's go mess that up. Um, so that was kind of Saul's whole life. And so God says, well, I'm done with Saul and his family. And he moves on and says, David, David's my guy. And David was a good king. David did some great things. David uh, unified the kingdom. Um, David brought them all together. He made the capital of uh, Jerusalem. Um, and and he, he was like, hey, this is the capital city. This is where he fortified everything. He was a mighty warrior. You know, we, we know him for defeating Goliath. And throughout his whole life, he was a warrior that fought, fought well. He was kind of kind of a man's man. You know, like when you read the stories about David, like, this is a tough dude. This, you know, he, he grew up out in the field taking care of sheep. We're like, oh, well, that's really tough. Um, yeah, well, when the fact of the matter is that taking care of the sheep meant that he fought off uh, bears and lions and tigers, oh my, uh, with a rock and a sling. I'm like, yeah, that's a man. You know, I don't care how old you are. You take on a bear with a slingshot, you got my respect, all right? Um, so David's like this man's man. But in the end, we see the softer side of David as well. Uh, where he really has a heart for God. Um, and a lot, of the, a lot of the psalms that we have in the book of Psalms are written by David, and they were just his worship songs. Um, that in his prayers, that whatever was going on in his life, he was writing out uh, these prayers and these psalms to God, and he would worship God in that way. And uh, in, in the end, uh, God says that David was a man after my own heart. And, and God made promises to David that, that through David, those promises he made back to Abraham, well, those promises were to carry on through David even more so that, that through David's family there would be a king who would reign forever. There would be a king who would reign forever on the throne. And we know that that's Jesus. That Jesus is the descendant of David. He's the one that reigns forever. But David was promised, yes, this is going to happen. But even with David, such a good guy, he was a guy, man after God's own heart. He also had a problem with sin. He was walking around the roof. He looked over. There's a lady on the next roof taking a bath. Sons tried to rise up and overthrow him. Um, you know, think about that. Uh, you're the king, and your your main dude is coming after you as your son. And uh, so there were consequences. But in the end, God still said, "In the end, after all of that, God said, David is a man after my own heart." So another one of David's sons, Solomon, becomes king after David, and Solomon gets the task of building the temple. Like I said, David 
Jerusalem, the capital city. Now this is very important for Nehemiah, so let's catch on. Alright, so, so David made Jerusalem the capital city, and then Solomon uh, builds the temple. And it was a beautiful, magnificent temple. Solomon's kingdom was marked by peace and prosperity, and he was just known for his wisdom and all this. And when you look back at like Jewish history, like this period of like David as the, the mighty warrior conqueror, it's like their heyday. Solomon after him was like the man like the really good dead. Um, and Solomon continued that cycle we talked about earlier though, where God blessed and he was blessing so great. But yet Solomon lived in a way against God by marrying a lot of women that all worshipped on a lot of different gods and a lot of different things. And those women all led so ultimately, Solomon falls in to worshiping all these other gods. And so God says, hey, Solomon, because you've done that, after you, I'm dividing the kingdom. And so there's going to be a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. And the northern kingdom will be ten tribes. And the southern kingdom, I'll let your son rule over it. And I'll continue all my promises to David through the southern kingdom. There's only going to be two tribes left in me. That's Judah and Benjamin will be the southern and so from that point on, we, we see uh, in Scripture that there were, and there were two separate Israels. There was northern Israel, uh, there was capital Samaria, uh, and then there was southern uh, Israel, or which mainly known as Judah, um, and their capital was still Jerusalem. Well, uh, the northern kingdom really had a great track record of uh, picking losers uh, for their king. And the Assyrians, and the Assyrians of Ethiopia. Now, the Assyrians had this masterful takeover of the world strategy. Uh, so, if you ever try to take over the world, uh, you should learn from the Assyrians. Because here's what they would do um, they would come in and they would say, you know, they'd conquer this group of people. And they would say, you know what? If we leave this group of people here, eventually they're probably going to regroup and try to rebuild against us. So what we're going to do is we're going to take a third of this group of people and we're going to move them over, you know, 10 million miles away to this other place where we find groups of people. And we're going to take another third off and we're going to move them over there. And we're going to split up this group of people all over the world and there's no way they can regroup and, and fight back against us. And what we're going to do is people from over there, we're going to bring them over here. Um, and so through this, the Israelites, God's people, were spread out throughout the world. Syrians did to the northern kingdom. Well, the southern kingdom was a little better. They kind of had a track record of like good king, bad king, bad king, good king, bad king, bad, bad, good, 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 bad, bad, good, good, bad. Um, and so, but in the end, they had so much bad that God said, you know what? You guys aren't keeping your head down. I've got to punish you as well. And so he sent in the Babylonians. The Babylonians had a different tactic. The Babylonians came in, they conquered, and they said, hey, you're coming to be our slaves. And so they hauled them off. That's what we see like in the book of Daniel. Uh, we're at the beginning where Daniel, Shadrach, and Meshach, and Abednego, they all get hauled off. Uh, 
service in Haiti. Um, and so, uh, so it was in this period uh, now that both northern and southern kingdoms wiped out. This lasted for about seven years. And this was the state of things. And if you might think, well, you know, that's all just kind of, it's just a coincidence. It's not really a God thing. Like, God didn't really cause them to be wiped out. It's just the other ones had like a big army. And so they won, right? Well, the really cool thing is, is then after the 70 years, that God said it was going to be 70 years, and it was 70 years, um, all of a sudden, the king of the Persians, who defeated the Babylonians, he just says, um, so God spoke to me, and he said that anyone who is like a Jew that wants to go back to Jerusalem, they're free to go. And by the way, he wants you to rebuild his temple. Um, and here's all the resources. All right? So if there's any question about who's in control over this thing, like, what king would do that? Hey, this was an opposing force that used to challenge us. But God said, let you go, so go. And so they do. They go back and they start rebuilding the temple. This is the book of Ezra. And, uh, and they have opposition and all this kind of stuff. Well, they get the temple rebuilt. And then it's a few years later, I think it's about 30 to 40 years later, um, Nehemiah. of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah. Now it happened in the month of Chislev, in the 20th year, as I was in Susa, the citadel, that Hananiah, one of my brothers, came with certain men from Judah. And I asked them concerning the Jews who escaped, who had survived the exile, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, the remnant there in the province survived the exile and great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are destroyed by fire. And so, we pick up the book of Nehemiah and we see that Nehemiah is giving us his memoirs of what he said. And we'll see that he starts out as he's a cupbearer for the king and he ends up as like the governor of
this, but as I said, be mine as far as the historical narrative goes. Really, one of the last things we have is going to be Nehemiah. And so Nehemiah is setting the stage for Jesus to show up. And Jesus starts to show up when we are in a place where we are broken down, where our walls are in trouble, everything is rumbling, everything is burning. And Jesus shows up. He says, I'm going to make something beautiful out of this. I'm going to redeem this. I'm going to make this whole new. And Nehemiah, the book of Nehemiah has a, a reputation really for um, great leadership principles. And so a lot of Christianity, there's a lot of books written about the leadership principles of Nehemiah and some of those kind of leaders in Christianity. Um, so this principles that we see here, uh, management principles, all these kind of things. And we'll look at all that as we, we walk through Nehemiah. But even beyond that, Nehemiah um, tells us a lot of things. Um, we're going to see the importance of obedience to God. We're see the importance of repentance um, for when we mess up for history sin. Uh, we're going to learn a lot about dealing with opposition. Um, you know, other people were just like, Thank you. 
States. So 